The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. It's another edition of The Bird Calls. He is Ollie Cosell. I am David Grubb. And it is a big day in the NBA as another historic trade has been made. One of the top 75 players of all time joining another one of the top 75 players of all time uh, in Milwaukee as the Dame Lillard uh, trade um, inquiry. uh, The the sweepstakes has now finally come to an end as Lillard is part of a three-team deal that will send him to Milwaukee. Um, He's obviously the most notable part in this deal. Um, The other notable pieces DeAndre Ayton and Drew Holiday going to Portland, um, along with a role player and some picks, um, some good picks for for the Trailblazers. And then the Suns, the third team in this deal, get Grayson Allen. They get um, who else am I missing here? Uh, it's Grayson Allen. It's Nazir Little, Keon Johnson, Nazir Little, um, Yusuf Nurkic, Nurkic, and Keon Johnson, and, uh, and Johnson. So uh, you know. First of all, let's look at this from the Dame perspective. Um, It felt like over the last few days, people really thought it was going to be Toronto uh, that Dame was going to end up with. Uh, But Toronto apparently did not want to put OG Ananubi on the the, uh, block. Um, Are are you surprised that, that, that Toronto really didn't go a little harder after Dame? I am surprised because, look, Masai made that big swing for Kawhi Leonard. Look how well that turned out, right, for that one season leading to a championship for the Raptors. And you would have thought Damian Lillard could maybe kind of spark something similar, maybe not getting that far in the playoffs, but deeper than what they've shown the last couple of years for sure. And OJ and Newby, I think, is a little bit overrated, right? I mean, Masai has, in trade talks for the last couple of years, really put a high market price on him. I think what was it last season at the deadline? Four uh, first round picks or something along those lines, which is too high, obviously. And so, yeah, in other words, I love that Milwaukee swooped in. Um, I'm not that disheartened that Toronto ended up with him, but I'm definitely happy that Miami didn't end up with him. Cause let's face it, he was trying to dictate, and that's Damian Lillard, his representation to get to Miami after signing an extension where you're guaranteed huge money now for the next four years, he immediately asks out. And what certainly, David, for the last couple of years has kind of looked like a mini rebuild going on in Portland, right? I mean, just think back to last deadline. They moved Josh Hart, right, for a bunch of, what was it, Cam Reddish, a bunch of unproven guys. So you knew things were in motion back then. And so for Dame to suddenly then spring this on, you know, not only management, but then just give them one realistic target, and Miami really didn't have that much to send back, certainly not enough to appease the Portland Trailblazers. Well, that's why we ended up in a stalemate for two months. And that's why I think a lot of us got tired of hearing about Damian Lillard. So I'm glad Milwaukee swooped in, picked them up. And I like it. If you look at the perspective from the Bucks, yes, Drew Hall, they helped them win a championship a few years ago. But then the most recent history is last season where the Bucks bowed out as a number one seed 
to the number eight heat. And they basically got punked, right? I mean, I know Giannis was hurt for parts of that um, playoff series. Maybe it was never 100%. Middleton but wasn't Middleton. Middleton wasn't Middleton. But then Drew, right? The way Jimmy Butler really just kind of, you know, let's face it, uh, put him in a ringer. I mean, he called him out. He, he was, you know, you saw where he zapped his confidence. And it looked like all Milwaukee's confidence went out the window. So I think getting Damian Lillard is exactly kind of the step they needed to take. So they'll miss his defensive presence, right? There's few, if any, that are better at defending somebody out in space, making them make turns, right? Dictating where he wants you to go as a defender versus where the offensive player is going to get to. But they don't need that so much, right, as other teams, because they've got Giannis back there, Brooke Lopez, Portis. They've got other tough defenders like Jay Crowder on that team. So they needed more of that leadership and that offensive spark plug when games get tight in Lillard. I think for Giannis, this is the first time in his career where he's had somebody on his level on his team. Chris Middleton is a good player, an all-star. He's made all defensive teams. He is an excellent shooter, but he's not a number one option. And now for the first time in, in Giannis's career, he has a legitimate guy who can, like when KD and Steph were together, you had two legitimate number one options, Kyrie and LeBron, two legitimate number one options, LeBron and AD, two legitimate number one options. That's a team needs to have those guys that you can count on when your star, because they're going to be matchups when somebody can maybe not eliminate your star, but frustrate them and make them less efficient. And for Dame Lillard, yeah, the, the fact that, you know, the, the thing is, He's going to be more consistent shooting the ball than Drew ever was from the outside. He's also going to drive harder than Drew does to the basket, even though Dame, maybe not the finisher that he used to be, but Dame likes to go to the rim. He likes running in pick and rolls. He and Giannis in pick and roll situations are going to be deadly because what do you do with Dame? He can step back, knock down the jumper. He can get to the lane and finish. So, yeah, I think it gives them offensive options that they didn't have, but mentally – it reinvigorates that franchise because they know time is short. The NBA doesn't wait around for anyone. You've got you. They look at what the Lakers did this offseason. You look at the Denver's coming back strong and healthy. You look at the top of this and you look at the rest of the East and you've made this move now. And it's no wonder to me that they dropped from, I think that it was plus 750 at the start of the day. And then after the trade, they're now the favorite to win the championship at plus, at plus 375. Yeah, look, I mean, going into the last couple of seasons after they won the championship, Giannis has been heralded as the best player in the NBA. And I don't think he's yet taken a step down, but he hasn't really lived up to expectations, largely because of injury, but also because of what we're alluding to. The fact that he hasn't really had the right teammates when he's needed that support, right? Middleton, a couple of years ago, that was a go-to score for the Bucs, but I don't know if he'll ever be that same guy again, David. Drew Holiday, as we saw here in New Orleans for the longest time, yeah, he can have those big games, but he's much better defensively and as a connector. But asking him to carry the offense, like I said, we saw here in New Orleans, he can't do that on a consistent basis. Getting Damian Lillard erases all those doubts. And I'll tell you what, I'm glad you brought up the pick and rolls, but also isolation plays. When the Bucks get stagnant, their ISO points per possession by their top three guys from last year, Drew, Giannis, Chris, they're low. Dame has no such issue. So, He's single-handedly going to be able to give them enough offense because you know their defense is still likely going to be in a top 10. Oh, absolutely. Um, as we look at it from the Portland side, 
no one expects Drew to stay in Portland. Um, no. You know, he, he's a veteran. They have loaded, uh, you know, a lot of players at those spots, at the the, the point and at the, the combo guard spot. You, you, Scoot Henderson needs minutes. They didn't draft him to not give him minutes. Um, Shaden Sharp, uh, you know, they expect him to continue to develop all those things. Drew doesn't fit. And, and, and I, and, but it was so odd on social media today, the number of Pelicans fans who started talking about Drew coming back to New Orleans. I thought it was immediately one of the worst ideas I ever heard. I'll let you get first word on this, though. Yeah, look, David, everybody loves Drew. And I don't think a single person in New Orleans really has probably anything bad to say about him because they left on such a high note, right? I don't think anybody is regarded as more fondly as one of the best players in New Orleans, right? We saw the way Chris Paul left and what's happened since, um, but more so Anthony Davis. But Drew left under much better conditions, right? So I think that that's partially maybe to blame for the misguided feelings and towards wanting to bring Drew back. Because if you look at it from an analytical standpoint, you look at this roster, it's far different than the one Drew left, right? He was counted on for his defense. You have the offensive players in, in the Lonzo, uh, B.I., Zion, and such. But you need kind of that defensive captain. Um, and that's what Drew filled. Well, now they've got Herb Jones. Now they've also, a uh, couple of seasons ago, drafted Dyson Daniels, right? That defensive identity is already there. And that's why I think this roster, it's built for the specific reason of giving basically what, what you need, right, around Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, which is the connectors doing all the small things, the defensive presence and leadership. And that's what C.J. McCollum, I know, definitely provides. Yeah, he doesn't have a ring, but if you look at who he is as a player, as a leader in that locker room, his voice, it's consistently heard, right? I hear it all the time when I've been in the locker room after practice and such. Drew was never that guy. He was the quiet leader, a lot like Brandon Ingram to where he's, you know, his play did much of the talking. And that's not what this Pelicans team needs, especially now, I think, right? There's a lot of expectations on this team. And for Zion to stay, you know, on, on the steady, right? On the long, straight and narrow. And I think Siege is much better equipped to handle that. So from the vantage point of him being willing to take a back seat, being a big time shooter, right? Great shooter. And that leadership, that automatically checks three boxes that I think that Drew honestly doesn't. And then I'm not even getting into the salary cap. I know CJ's making comparable money this year, but after this season, Drew's got a player option for his final year. You know he's going to be looking for one more massive payday, and I'm expecting he's going to fetch, what, at least $40 million probably a season. Well, CJ's already locked in for $63 million after this season. So it's a much better deal for the Pelicans if you have any designs of keeping B.I., Zion, and you've got to sign Trey Murphy soon. Yeah, and then I, I think it's just it's a bad fit as we talked about um, for the locker room. Uh, I just don't I, do, I just don't think Drew Drew could fit in with a team like the Bucks because Giannis, Portis, you know all these guys. There was an established yeah. hierarchy, and there are also emotional guys around. Plenty of emotional leaders around. You know, even when they brought in PJ Tucker. That's another guy that's going to do the tough physical. It was a veteran team. That's what True fits in well with. Mm -hmm. He fits in real well with it because you don't you know exactly what you're asking of Drew. You're not asking him to teach anybody anything. You're not asking him to tell anybody anything. You're just saying, Drew, do your job. And that's remember how Drew signed in the Olympics? Remember how he just walked in that team and did what they needed and he shined, right? He didn't have the pressures of being that type of leader, right? There was other guys that handled that part. 
Yeah. It has never been his desire to be the guy in front. He wants to be a teammate. He wants to play well, and he knows how talented he is. But his temperament is not that of the guy who's going to be in front. We all remember the, the I don't want to say disaster, but remember the problem of when David Griffin said he was going to be a, an MVP candidate. The people who were sitting there in that room today, that day, none of us felt it because we knew true. And it's not that, it, again, not about his talent. It's about you knew the guy. And an MVP is a certain mentality. That's not Drew. Drew wants to be the consummate teammate. He wants to be the consummate teammate. Knows all his talents. Yes. Believes he can check anybody in the league. Absolutely. But does he want to be the number one or even the number two guy? No, yeah, does he, he want to shoot 30 times, right? Does he want to drive the ball 20 times? No, no, you're absolutely right, David. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a specific fit for you if you're that type of player, right? So you have to kind of fit a guy in like that. You can't build around a guy like that. Not with this team, not with guys still trying to figure out who they are and the uncertainty. I just don't even think it'd be appealing to Drew Holiday at this stage in his career. He's Not watched what's happened in New Orleans since he's left. The inconsistency, the questions about the future still that exist about what's going to happen in the next year or so or two years down the road. Why at the end of your career would you come back for that when you have options that are much better and also can present you with a championship? Drew is still a championship-caliber contributor, and there are teams that would die to have him on their rosters, and the Pelicans are not one of them. Yeah, David, just look around the NBA. There's a lot of teams that would love to have him. I mean, there's a couple that jump right out to mind for me. The Celtics, they just lost Marcus Smart and, and um, uh, Williams, right, went dead to Dallas. Then you've got Philly, who if they could move off of James Harden, how much would Drew Holiday look better, right, instead of Harden next to Tyrese Maxey? And you've got Embiid. Right. So th there's a lot of other teams, even Miami. I'm not sure with what happened in the last season's playoffs that Miami's an option for Drew. But like I said, there's other teams, maybe even, a, you know, maybe even Indiana is an interesting team. spot. Yeah, for Drew. interesting. Right. Because you put him with Halliburton and Matherin and Miles mm -hmm. um, Turner and, and, and that young talent that they have. They are a team that I think with a, with a, with a veteran player, you trade Buddy and send Buddy to Portland for Drew and, and whatever it does to make the contracts work. Drew makes that team, I think, a top five team in the East. I think they would be better than the Knicks. I think they'd be better than the Hawks. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so, I mean, I think the Pacers would be a, a very interesting fit. In the West, which I think will be a lot harder because I don't think Portland wants to send him in the West. But honestly, if I'm Utah, I make a phone call. I know you don't think Danny Ainge would make that call. But I, I think for that team – in the short run, again, Drew's a short-term contract, um, and they don't really have a legitimate two-guard. You know, Jordan Clarkson is a bench guy. He should be on the bench. And the, they've drafted young guys who aren't ready. But you got a very strong front court in that team already, and, and I think some talent there. We saw the Jazz compete really until they decided not to. And I think if you added Drew, that's a playoff team. Yeah, David, that's not a bad one. I know in our DM chat, I kind of uh, shot some arrows at, 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 at your, your uh, – sorry about that window opened up. But um, my preferred Western, def, uh, Western Conference destination for Drew would be, honestly, the San Antonio Spurs, as I mentioned in our group. I think that 
Greg Popovich wants to win sooner rather than later. He's probably a believer in let's go through, through some games that mean something earlier in Victor Wembanyama's career than later, right? So I think obviously when you look at that roster, they're they're missing a legitimate starting point guard. And when you realize that Drew wouldn't have to be, say, that 20 to 30 point score for that team, because outside of Wembanyama, don't forget they've got Devin Vassell, who I think is going to be one of the top uh, breakout candidates this season, averaging maybe close to five points because that guy can shoot. You've got Keldon Johnson, right? You've got other talent. And I don't know. I know so Popper, and Pop's a fan of Drew's. So I don't know. I think that's that's a, that'd be a heck of a marriage, even though to New Orleans Pelicans fans, that'd be probably a shot through their heart, right? Seeing Drew go to to to, to one of our longtime nemesis. But yeah, Drew, we've just named what five, six, seven destinations that easily those teams would want him on board. Absolutely. I think Phoenix, when I look at what they got, I think they just got more annoying because they're going all in on this offensive thing. You know, and I think, yeah, they needed size. They get rid of Aiden. Aiden was not happy, of course, there. I think Aiden will flourish um, if given the opportunity in Portland because uh, I think he wants to be involved. And in Portland, there's opportunities for him to be involved. Phoenix was never going to make him that. Uh, he and Monty just didn't work together. And I don't think Booker and and Katie and those guys really knew how to knew what to do with him. They didn't play with bigs who could do anything. So I think I just don't, you know, you add Grayson Allen to the mix. Yes, Grayson Allen can shoot the ball. When's he gonna get minutes? When's Grayson Allen gonna get minutes with that with that team? You know, you're gonna be giving heavy minutes to Booker. You're gonna be giving heavy minutes to Brad Beal. Are you gonna put him at the point guard spot? I just I I, I think the Suns have gone way too far on the all offense thing. I don't think they'll be able to defend very well. And I don't think that they have a great, I don't think they have a leader. Are you, are we counting Devin Booker as a leader now? I'm not putting Devin Booker as a leader. Are we counting KD? KD's not showing he's a great leader. Brad Beal? Like who, who's leading that team now? Yeah. See, I kind of sit on the other side of the spectrum here. I think this was a good move for Phoenix because, first of all, Aiton was going to be nothing more than the fourth option. And he's a guy who honestly. His favorite thing to do out there is get touches and score from, what, 16 feet and in, maybe 12 feet and in. He wasn't going to get those touches anymore. And Chris Paul's been wanting him to rebound, do the little things for the last few years. So is Devin Booker. And he he never showed, right, that he could do that on a consistent basis. So I, I think there was just no soured with that. We saw right, him. He's he able had to, to get it. out. It, it was good for both parties. So I know mm-hmm. that Nurk not the same caliber player, but I honestly think that it's going to be negligible in terms of what you get out of your center, right? Whether it's Nurkic on the back of your uh, jersey or Aiton. I think Nurkic is actually a better rebounder. I think he's a lot more physical. My biggest thing, David, with him is can he kind of return to what he was doing a couple of years ago, which where he wasn't such a liability out in a little bit of space, right? Because he's one of the slowest centers, at least he seemed to me, last season. And, you know, this game is played away from the basket. He's got to be able to show that he can do what he kind of was doing several years ago. If you can give him that, and I'm a little bit higher, I guess, on Grayson Allen than you are. I think that he, he brings Grayson a certain – Grayson Allen's a, a really good shooter and yeah, an offensive he, player. Right, he brings a certain grittiness that Aiton's definitely not going to give you, right? But he's also got big game experience. And then I like Nazir Little. I think he's underrated in this whole thing. I think he can step in, and especially if one of those guys are hurt or resting, he can give you good, solid 20, 25 minutes of some two-way action. I thought he was beginning to show that important last year. So I think Phoenix needed depth. They didn't need another guy that was just simply going to score for him, and especially not at that contract price, right? So I don't know. I like it for all three teams. 
I just I just don't like Phoenix, their makeup. I just I just don't like their makeup as a championship team. I think that they will they they can win regular season games on a night to night basis by talenting people, you know, out talenting people. But I think in a seven game series, they would be I don't think they get you know, I think they'd be pretty easy to beat if you're the right team. Like, you know, if like the seeding matters, obviously. But I don't if they were the but I I just don't see them as a team that makes makes it through three rounds of the playoffs. I just I can't see it. See, David, I, I think that Booker and Booker's ready to lead. And I think Durant can lead. Just he doesn't like every circumstance that's the possible every possible scenario out there. If if suddenly everything turns for the worse, and yeah, he wants to jump ship. He kind of gets into the corner, doesn't say much, I think. But Booker, I don't know. I started seeing things out of him last couple of seasons, especially last postseason run, right? I mean, what was it? Booker had a couple of 50 point games against the Nuggets. I just scoring think I, ain't the problem. No, I but what he gets he stepped up in, when the lights were the brightest, when you know the pressure's on, he looked fantastic. So I don't know. I just think he needs and remember, he was in the finals a couple of years ago, too. So I'm not ready to undersell, I think, what he can give them in terms of leadership. We'll see. I think you know we'll agree to disagree on that. It's not it's not a, a hard, angry disagreement, but I just I'm I'm still I think he, there's still some maturing that I I'd like to see from him because I remember in the Pelican series when he was hurt and it just seemed like he was you know a little whiny like it just the, the I still see the image of him in some in the summer you know talking about we don't double team in in open run and stuff like that and I know that's two years ago. But even like last year, there's certain times when it felt like he got a little whiny. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 I think there's a maturing that still needs to go on for him. He's not he's not nearly as far along as Durant or Peel are. I think you you know you can grow and mature still. I'm not ready to cite the, in the book on it, but I'm just wondering who's the leader. Like in the in the real, they all say it's Booker's team, but Peel and and KD are older than him. And are they going to defer or listen to him at certain times? And that's that's the part that I just wonder about. Yeah, I mean, the Miami Heat took a season to figure that out, right? When Bosch, LeBron, and Wade got together. And it took the older Wade to say, literally, LeBron, these, this is your team. I'm expecting KD knows he has to do it, right? He doesn't want to carry a team every night on his shoulders. He wants to be the guy that's going to pick and choose his moments, I think, for the rest of his career. So I think Booker, I think by default, is going to get it. You know Bradley Beal's not going to emerge as the leader with those two guys around either, right? He, he hasn't really accomplished anything in his career. In my book, that's notable outside of right, getting on a scoring, you know, top scoring list and such. So, no, I, like I said, I, I like Booker better than you. I thought defensively he was much better last year. Showed to me that he honestly gave a damn, especially in big games. As to where a couple of years ago, I didn't see that out of him. Um. The the other question that folks are going to have, obviously, is what's the impact on the Pelicans as far as the Milwaukee draft picks um, in the short term and in the long term? What are your thoughts as far as the value of those picks today? Yeah, so this is the first season, right, 2024, where that Drew Holiday trade starts paying the Pelicans back in the form of draft compensation four years in a row, starting with this season with it being a pick swap. Now, here's where I'm not fretting. First of all, the Bucks still had Giannis, and 24 hours ago had Middleton, Holiday, Brook Lopez, a team that won, like I said, the championship a few years ago. They were still that the number one seed in the East last year. Yeah, so this was never. I thought this swap was never going to probably transfer. And then as as far as the next swap, a couple years down the road, again, Giannis is young. If you get him to stick around because they're winning, again, 
the Pelicans overtaking um, the Bucks in terms of winning percentage didn't seem all that high, right? Considering histories, injury histories here. So you're not losing much there, if anything at all. And then next season is when they get the first draft pick. But remember, most of that draft pick, right, the 2025 Milwaukee first rounder got traded to Portland in that C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance deal. It was protected one through four, which New Orleans still has, but the rest of it went to Portland. But since that time, it's spread, it's touched several hands, it went to Pistons, but now it's in New York's hand. That's the one that hurts, right? That's one of the ones because it was unprotected. But now it looks like that's not going to matter much. Nobody sees Damian Lillard falling off a cliff production-wise in a couple of years' time. Giannis, you think, is going to give it a time. And so the biggest chip in all this was always that last one, the 2027 uh, first rounder that's unprotected as well from Milwaukee, which is still three and a half years out. You know, Dames, he's 33. Giannis is younger, a lot younger. But again, if Milwaukee doesn't start winning, right, if they don't win a championship, I feel, in what, maybe the first three mm. years, Giannis' relationship, I think that they're both going to want out, right? I mean, Dame, that wasn't his original landing spot. Giannis is already, he wants to kind of leave. And I don't know when Milwaukee's going to be able to pivot to next. So I still think that's an alluring draft pick, right? That unprotected Milwaukee 2027 one. So from my vantage point, I don't think the Pelicans' future assets took much of a hit. The The only kind of hit it really takes is if David Griffin wanted to include any of it this season in a deal before the deadline to where, okay, there's still a lot of things in the air, right? Because Giannis, his comments, whatever he said about a couple of weeks ago and, you know, putting pressure, I want to play for a winner. He didn't want to sign an extension. He can sign an extension now, doesn't want to do it. So it's just from that standpoint alone, it hurts a little bit, right? Suddenly the Pelicans assets in terms of trade this season go down a notch, but, you know, looking long-term, it doesn't hurt. So I'm not fretting. And honestly, the pick shouldn't matter right now anyway. Like, in a real sense, it only should be thought about as fodder for a trade. It should not be considered somebody that you're looking forward to adding to this roster because this is year five, and you're expecting this team to start showing its potential. If that's the case, there shouldn't be a rookie coming in the next two or three years that's going to make a major impact because you should be drafting in the bottom half of the first round at the very least. So, yeah, I think if, if the Pelicans are on target with where they're supposed to be, and as you said, even the – let's say the, the, the best-case scenario is that Giannis leaves at the end of this current contract. The, the, the Bucks are prepared for that, I think, because that's why they went all in on this deal, is that, hey, if we don't sign Giannis, if we don't do all that, we'll clear both of these guys out. And we'll just start breaking it down and we'll have all the space in the world and we'll do what we need to do and try to rebuild that way. I think that's, but, but they're going for it the way that they should. You don't know what you have beyond Giannis's current contract. You go for it. So yeah, for the Pelicans. Yeah. I don't see where it's something that the fans need to be concerned about at all. The concerns for the Pelicans are still in the building. Yeah. And I don't like the fact that people are getting upset at the front office for not moving these picks ahead of time. But first of all, Milwaukee came out of nowhere to snare Damian Lillard. That wasn't on anybody's radar. Right. So that's one thing you got to remember. The other thing is that I think David Griffin has already done a decent job with these picks, because like I mentioned, he traded one of them, most of it, the 2025 uh, Bucks first rounder to Portland to get CJ and Larry. So it's not like he's always sat on all these picks. And I know that 
besides all that, he has tried to make moves since he's gotten here. I've heard about all these potential trades and offers that have been made, but the Pelicans, for whatever reason, didn't get the other team to bite. So it's not like he's hoarding these picks and trying to hang on to them dearly, like, say, Danny Ainge was doing for all those years in Boston. So I just think that you got to give him a break, right? Nobody saw it coming. Dave Griffin has been shown, I think, he's been willing to always make a deal if there's one to be made. I mean, look, this roster has completely turned over since he's arrived in New Orleans. Zion Williamson is the longest-tenured Pelican. So just by that fact alone, you know Griff doesn't sit and stand pat. He always makes moves when there's moves to be made and that can be made. And I think that's not going to stop him either. With what happened now with the Bucs, I still think that he's going to be pushing hard and maybe have to involve another asset or two. But, yeah, I mean, the Pelicans don't have that many weak spots. You still want to see what this team can do, right? They believe in this core, and you saw a few games out of them last season. And there's only a few weak spots, largely at the center position. So if there was a Nick Claxton available or a Jared Allen that made sense at the price, then he would have done it by now. But he's going to keep trying to make those moves regardless of what happened today. Yeah, I think um, the two issues that that we've talked about ad nauseum are rim protection and point guard play. Um, some of that, obviously, they're hoping with point guard play it develops as Dyson gets better, as Alvarado gets hopefully is better, as hopefully Kyra is better this year. Um, I'd still I'd still like to see a veteran there um, in that uh, for in, somewhere in that mix. Um, but that's, I don't think that's going to happen. Before, it's certainly not going to happen before camp. And, and I know folks who are, are are looking for the Pelicans to make a move. I don't see a move getting made, even being considered really, until after Thanksgiving, you know, as we get closer to the Christmas area. Because as you said, I believe that ultimately there's about a 20, 25 game window here to start the season where everything is being evaluated. How does Zion look? How do he and B.I. fit? How is Willie adapting? How is Borrego's offense being integrated? And how healthy are these guys staying? Once you get to that, and, and, and you know, a Trey comes back after between 11 and 19 games, whatever, he may be out. Nothing gets, I don't think any moves get made before that unless there's another dramatic injury or something that happens But in the meantime. But before that, I think Griffin because he's never seen this group together for an extended amount of time, he has to, he has to for his own eyes and for the rest of this franchise to look at it and be able to say confidently, either it works or it doesn't. And and once he gets to that point, then I think he'll make his decision. Uh, but I don't see it happening before the first 25 games. Yeah, I don't have too much else to add to that. Look, in the limited minutes, we did see the main guys out there. They played well. Now, the one guy that's always, I think, going to sit on the block for at least this season is going to be Jonas Valanciunas. We've talked about him ad nauseum, written about him on the bird rights and such. And I think a big telling um, point is Griffin still hasn't given an extension to Jonas, right? So he's entering the last year of his deal. And if you remember, when he traded for Jonas, he was entering the last season of his deal, gave him a two-year extension. Same thing with Steven Adams. The fact that it looks like Jonas is about to start training camp without that extension signals to me that he, and that's David Griffin, wants to keep all his options open. So whoever he trades them to, maybe it's a team that doesn't want right that contract on their books and is going to be happy that he's going to be an expiring contract. They don't want that, you know, sitting, like I said, there in their in their corner, thus prohibiting Valanciunas being included in kind of trade. So, yeah, I still think that there's going to be a trade that will probably happen 
honestly, but before the deadline, because I don't think Jonas is the guy that's just meant for Willie, the guy that's next meant next to play next to right Zion Bi, because he he's just a guy that you get the best out of. He's got the ball in his hands, right? You give him twelve scoring opportunities a game, and with the makeup of this roster, that's never going to happen when they're healthy. Not with Willie, not with Willie. Not, you, I think you could do it, but I don't think that. Like you said, I, I think Willie's made his decision as far as how he views this team. And Jonas is not part of that long-term vision in his mind. Um, but for Willie, I do want to ask you this. Do you do you see a scenario with Borrego on the bench if the Pelicans get off to, let's say they they get off to a 10-20 and 20 start after 30 games? Do you, Could you see a scenario where Willie Green is moved on? Because he hasn't gotten his extension either. Perhaps. And I think it would probably take something additionally to that 10 and 20 start, something in the form of losing the locker room, Brandon Ingram suddenly losing some trust or Zion Williamson, right? One of the two main guys, um, maybe behind the scenes speaking kind of, you know, negatively about Willie. That's certainly not the case right now. Everything's been always positive since Willie's arrived. So that's why I think he's got a much longer leash than I think a lot of people probably want to give credit for. I think honestly, the bigger, Topic here is talking about David Griffin being on the hot seat, which I know you probably agree with me. Entering year five, three different head coaches. Zion Williamson's never even played a playoff game. Pelicans have only made one playoff series, one that they probably shouldn't have even made. So that and on a on it's never finished higher than ninth in the I, West. Yeah, you can't go through another season where you don't make the playoffs. And I almost don't even care who gets injured, right? It, it's just high time for a roster this town, this deep, to get at least into the playoffs. Comfortably, comfortably. Not, you know, not. I'm not saying they got to win 55, 60 games, but they should not be going to the last two to three games of the season trying to figure out if they're going to make the play-in. That 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 should not happen with this roster, with this team. As as it's no longer a group of kids, they are older now. They've jettisoned whatever they feel like they need to jettison. They've gotten rid of those players that they that weren't committed. Whatever. Uh, in their mind, this is the team that they've wanted to build it for the lar- for the most part. So I think you're right. There there are no excuses. There can't be any excuses. This is especially when you look at the rebuilding that's been done in other small markets around the league in a comparable amount of time. You're you've seen the other smaller teams get back on their feet by and large and have at least some general idea of what their future looks like. Maybe Houston is still a little confusing, but everybody else in the West, I think you look at them and you say, I at least understand what they're trying to do. It may not work, like in Minnesota or whatever, but I get what every team in the West generally is trying to do. Right. The Pelicans were the darlings last year. Now they're not. OKC, I think, is that new Western Conference team that everybody's saying, this is the one that could make a big, right, jump up in the standings. But... Pelicans don't have that, you know, um, that leeway anymore. But I will say, I still honestly myself believe in this talent on this team. It's just, can you get 55 to 60 games out of both behinds on? If you can do that, I think everything else will fall into place. If not, we can talk worst case scenarios again, unfortunately. Um, last thing I want to get to you with the, on, on this alley with this team is, look, media day is on uh, Monday. We're going to both be at that. Uh, but then you have the open run next Sunday 
um, where folks will finally get to see these guys um, somewhat in action. We, we saw last year was a very limited type of event. They didn't really go through a lot. Was there any really a scrimmage? It was, it was just kind of a an event. Um, my warning is, I don't care what Zion does in this, how, how he dunks or whatever. Like, let's wait till we see some games. Like that—that's the whole thing. Not to, not to be pessimistic or anything, but we got super excited last year. When we get to game sixty, game seventy of the season, <laughs> I'll be really excited then. But for right now, every day to me is—you know—you're just hoping. You're, you're hoping that he stays healthy. Yeah, and you just remind me of something CJ was saying. I think towards the end of December, when the Pelicans were right right up there at the top of the West with the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Kings. And he was saying, you know, we haven't won anything yet. And that is forever going to stay in my mind. Because sure enough, here comes January and they just fell off a cliff. So you're right. It doesn't matter what even what kind of a strong start they get off to. It's all going to be about maintaining, you know, at least some kind of decent run. You're not going to have always good runs, right? Every team, even the best teams in the league, go through those, you know, bad 10 to maybe 15 game stretches where they lose a lot more games than they win, right? Whether it's because of injury or just poor performance. But it's going to be over the course of the season. Can you count enough on certain guys to step up when needed to keep the train moving? Because last year, it didn't happen at all. A lot of people, players, coaches, kind of failed in that respect. They won't be afforded those same opportunities, I think, this season. No, there, there, there cannot be any double-digit losing streaks. That can't happen ever again. You can't – and they need to start being able to – you know, my thing with the five-game winning streaks, but they need to start being able to string together those kinds of things on a regular basis. I mean, the teams that win, win seven in a row here, six in a row here, 12 in a row there. It happens. The Pelicans just have not been able – for all the reasons we understand, the health, all these other – but now there, there are no more excuses. Um, Ali, what you, get, what you got working for next week? You, you know, as our feature guy, um, what is the next big topic that you'll be tackling for us? Yeah, I talked to you about how I want to take an in-depth look at Dyson Daniels because suddenly, you know, with Trey Murphy's injury, Jose Alvarado being a question mark, I think he could step in and kind of be a Josh Giddy for this team, right? Off the bench, not as a starter, but off the bench because they're going to need a lot of different things from so- several players, uh, reserves. And then when a starter goes down, invariably somebody's going to miss some time. So when that happens too. But i tell you what, I'm kind of thinking about writing up something on Drew and maybe thinking about a potential trade which involves Drew, but not the Pelicans getting Drew. I've got a kind of an idea in my head, but I'm going to save it for the article, I think, instead of uh, re- revealing it now. Uh, well, until then, uh, we will. you can check the bird rights for uh, the rest of our updates. Ben Pfeiffer's been doing a great job for us as far as looking at uh, the Pelicans players one by one, their strengths and weaknesses heading into this season. That's going to continue. Make sure you check us. If you're, if you're watching, subscribe on YouTube. If you're listening, subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. And then um, Ollie and I next week, we'll, we'll, we'll both have, we'll have content from media day. We'll be, we'll get you some clips from there. And then of course we'll have our analysis of media day uh, afterwards. So stick with us. And uh, we're really excited about uh, what's ahead for not only the New Orleans Pelicans, but for us with the bird rights and the bird calls as well. Ali, any final words? No, I'm so looking forward to next week. I'm curious to see what the vibe is, right, what Zion looks like and such. And I know it doesn't mean anything, but yet it's good to get off on the, on the right foot because they did that last season. And look, they got off to a good start out of the gate. So there is some meaning in that.
right, last thing I'm asking you this, Ollie. Thumbs up, thumbs down on the new court. You know, I, I don't think you guys like it, but I actually kind of like it. I don't mind it. I think it's an improvement on what was uh, previously. I wouldn't put the, I wouldn't put the floor. To, I think the court side is fine. Like the the, the, the swamp, the, the river, the pelican shadow. I think that's really artistic and cool. I'm not a fan of the fleur de lis in the middle of the court. Is there too many of them? I, I like my basketball court simple. I like <laughs> my basketball court simple. You know what I mean? Keep it simple. Best courts in the I'm the worst, most colorful basketball courts, right? Oregon's got one of them. Yeah, they got all the trees and stuff on theirs. And that's just too much. But in the NBA, I like my simple courts. I mean, I'm a, bit, a fan of very simple courts. I, d I don't need a lot of stuff on them. And I, I wish – the one thing I do wish is if the Pelicans are going to use some other logos, use the Pelican and the fleur -de -lis. If you're going to use the fleur -de -lis, I like that one. Or use the Crescent City basketball one, which a lot of people like. The other part is the Crescent City jerseys. What did you think of those? Uh not, not a big fan. I'm not a big uniform guy to begin with, but yeah, I, I don't think they've hit a home run yet. Let's put it that way. Since David Griffiths got here, I feel like the uniforms can be approved on, right? We, we've talked about it. You, Kevin, guys that are more artistic than me, and you point out the details why, so I'll let you tell us why. <laughs> I mean, my thing is just it, it's very uninspired. It, it, it adds nothing. It, the other signature or city series that we've seen – feel like more care was taken. You know, when I've seen the New York ones or the Denver ones or Portland or Phoenix, whatever, it always just feels like when you look at them, you go, yeah, that makes sense. Some of them have been bad. Some of them have definitely been bad. I mean, you know, we made fun of the Charlotte one last year, uh, you know, but some of them are really bad. But the Pelicans have never had anything inspired. Mm -hmm. The best uniform that they've had as the Pelicans is the red one. Um, and that's the alternate uniform. And it's still really not all that. It's, it's just, it's the best put together and the best combination of the colors that they've worked out. The blue has to, the navy has never worked, has never worked as a uniform. The white works, it's just, I think it needs more red in the white. Like it needs more pop. Yeah. Um, but it, that's the thing is I think the Pelicans, they are uninspired in their uniforms. And, and, and you know, that that part is the part that for a city that is known for its vibrancy, these uniforms have been so uninspired. Yeah, I've got nothing else to add. I mean, maybe they'll get it right one day. <laughs> maybe, maybe people keep submitting ideas and hopefully it'll work. Uh, but thank you all for watching. Again, click that subscribe button, share, like, comment. Um, we appreciate it. And check out the bird rights um, for more of your Pelicans news and notes. Until the next time, he is Ali Cosell. I am David Grubb. And in the words of our good friend, Preston Ellis, let's go, Pelicans.